founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have two legends with us. Back in 1980, you could find school teacher Richard Soren hand-cutting steel in his two-car garage or driving the night bus from school to make some extra money. Skipping over a long, hard-fought history, 40 years later, Sorenex is one of the most respected family-owned businesses in the world. One of Richard's greatest joys outside of Sorenex was his son, Bert. Spending much of his childhood in weight rooms, it's no surprise that Bert became a four-time Division I All-American track and field athlete and SEC champ. Today... Bert is the president and CEO of Sorenex, by far our strongest guest we've ever hosted. Founders, welcome Richard and Bert Soren. Guys, thanks for being on the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. Well, on a, on a personal note, I work out on your equipment every day at our local gym. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Go ahead and give them a plug. Where, what location is that? It is Go Performance in Peachtree City, Georgia. Nice. And, uh, man, we have loved your racks, your jammer arms, all the kind of equipment they've got in there that have been uh, really, really amazing. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Peachtree City is a cool, cool area. I have a couple friends down that way. Yeah, it's not bad, man. We like it for the stage of life. We're in three little kids, and we got golf carts we can take around town, and uh, it's pretty Likewise. fun. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, well, I would love to know this. You know, today we love to dive into the founder's story we love to dive into uh, really understanding, you know, your personal drives, your habits, what makes your company successful. But I love, especially with the two of you guys here, I'd love just to hear a little bit of a background of how this, the company got started and how it got to be where it is today. So wherever it makes sense to start, would love to just kind of hear the, the origin story. Well, my life has been atypical the whole time from day one. I I grew up as an only child and my parents worked split shifts. So my world had to be uh, pretty close to home quarters. I, I didn't get a whole lot of chance to be out and about with other kids. I had my world and I had to make something out of it that would entertain me and keep me safe and be able to do my part as part of the family. Mm. Um, I always try to be inventive with whatever was in my world, I would go out in the back of the yard and find logs and make weightlifting platforms. And I would be, I would read about, uh, I wasn't really big uh, on the reading end in school, but my dad would buy me magazines, uh, outdoor life magazines, and I would learn to read through that. Wow. So it, it started getting a fire going as far as the lifting end of it. There was a lot going on in uh, New Jersey. There was close to York Barbell, Burr Barbell. There was Andy Jackson, who was uh, a legend in uh, mechanical uh, exercise equipment and weights. Mm. I still have the original set that I used to buy for 10 cents a pound that I lifted my last deadlift, my last routine almost 60 years later on that same set of weights that sits on our platform. So it was a trail of, of interest and passion that led me from a child. I brought my first um, barbell at five-year-old uh, to kindergarten to show the thing I was most proud of. 
And I remember how heavy that thing was on my shoulder when I carried it across <laughs> the playground, but it stuck in my mind. And, and the passion I had about strength, I don't know if it was strength of body, of character, it drew me close, or I would see things in people that could rise above the ordinary, and I was attracted to that. Mm. Uh, when I started as a school teacher, it was atypical. I, I had no college prep courses. I, I, if I passed college entrance exam cold, I had a scholarship to a dozen colleges. If not, I sat my butt home and worked in a factory the rest of my life. Wow. That's how, how clearly defined my life was on two different trails. So when I did get into the teaching area, I started my business. And of course, anything that would generate a dollar to, to keep my family going and to keep my passions hot, the ability to build something or make something better constantly drew me in. And then having something you love as a passion to be around these people that are your heroes. And one day, now these are my friends. Wow. And I, I think it wasn't a plan to start a business to make money. It never was. It was, it was a itch. I had a scratch. I had to have this as part of me. And it was, it, it was easy. It was, it was easy to come up with these things and I had the strength and youth to do it, but it was so hard every other way. It was before the days of media. It was before the days of cell phones. It was before mm. it were, it was when the wild west was out there. There were people out there to get you from other companies, literally, and to fight through that alone because nothing was ever handed to me. I left home with $3 and a pocket knife. That's all I had when I left home. Man. So, but my dream was to include myself in the world of strength. And then I was blessed to have a wonderful son that slowly without pushing him, I wanted to see if in fact that would catch on with the outdoors we do together and the uh, uh, the strength training and, and how successful he was as an athlete. Mm. It, it's hard to be a car salesman and all of a sudden open up a, weight, a business that sells weight training equipment all over the world and understand why you're doing what you're doing. Not like, yeah. oh, I'm going to build this and I'm going to get some engineer that knows steel and he's going to do it. It's so much more than that. Mm. So that's where my life yeah. has always been led step by step towards where we are today. And it's the family that I never had as a child that are all these wonderful people that work for us and with us. Wow. And that's my dream fulfilled. And I'm still alive. I get to see it. Yeah. That's so great. But uh, in show, that's kind of the madness of my life. Yeah. That is beautiful. And I love that. And I think I even um, I want to tap into one piece of the story that I'm curious about, because I think it could even tie to some of the things that you're saying. So, 19 and I go if anybody wants to they can go to you guys awesome timeline that you have on your website about your story which is is fantastic I appreciate you guys doing that so it looks like 1989 you get to to actually set up a custom gym for the University of Tennessee and that's like nine years in from origin uh, origin story of 1980 you know you're you're celebrating the 40 year anniversary this year which is awesome uh, 
but how do you, how do you go from like, I'm a school teacher, you know, doing my own thing to like, now I'm setting up the university of Tennessee and then all, and then you go from there to university of Miami in the past in the future and all that. But how did that even come to be? How do you get that opportunity? Well, when I was, as I said, I was on my, on my own and I decided in 1979, because not only myself, but other people said, you, you can't do this and survive. You can't keep a family going. You can't work three jobs. You can't put in 70 hours a week and then come home at 10 o'clock at night and lift as well. It's, it's, you can't sustain that. So I had to decide to move towards a full-time, I built playgrounds first, and that really helped a lot with my creativity and working yeah. with young kids and, and, and other teachers to, to hopefully yeah. inspire them to do something for themselves, not just to go buy it. But uh, um, the, um, I just lost my train of thought for a second, but. Um, How did the opportunity come to to, to, to get that contract with the University of Tennessee. Actually, you started doing small jobs and everyone would say it's big, black, ugly, and lasts forever. That's what people would tell me. Everything I would build, I would overbuild. And slowly it leaked out. It got in some uh, uh, school manuals about how to be creative within school programs on playgrounds. And then people started wanting weight rooms. But the first thing really was when I, I kind of crashed into it is there were no what you call super rooms as they are today. The first super room to my recollection was really in 1987 when I had the chance to work on University of Kentucky. It was, it was under total duress. No one wanted me. No one understood what going from a weight room was to a training center for athletes. It was a huge quantum step. Um, the, I was approached by the people. They really didn't want me, but I did everything to the letter as far as design. There was 300 different one-of-a-kind designs I had to come up with. Wow. And to build this, I had my friends in my garage upholstering. I had to find things that were non-existent, supposedly. Uh, I had to fight like hell. I had to actually go to the airport and, and they had such empathy towards me. They gave me a ticket so I could actually go up there for the bid opening. I mean, the airlines did. I had, wow. I, 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 I had to sell, sell my house. I had to live in a room for a year. I had to take no pay to make sure that this was happening. But the success of the first super room at Kentucky was so overwhelming and probably one of the greatest things, if if not the greatest thing outside of having my, my son, I ever did in my life because I wasn't going to give up no matter what, if it killed me. Wow. So when that room came out a year and a half later, I was approaches, approached uh, by Bruno Paletto uh, from Tennessee, who was a consummate shot putter, Olympian shot putter, and just a wonderful coach. And he was smart enough to say, well, if this room is good, I'm going to be attached to this room. It has to be as good as can be. And he thought that I was the person to seek out to do this. And when we finished Kentucky and the word was out, and then we did Tennessee in 16 straight 
games were won after I put that room in, it was like we were golden. Yeah. Because, yeah. Or good luck or something. And that's what really started the ball rolling. Because if you could show you can do giant things, everyone assumes that they're going to be taken good, good care of on a lesser basis. We take as much care doing a rack for an individual as we do 58 racks for, for army. It, it's, yeah. and, and the repeat business to gain those people's trust. This is the third and fourth time in 40 years we've done some jobs and it only gets better with, with Bert's input. The company has taken a giant, giant step forward and the great people we have working here with us. And it always goes back to the passion that was there to do it better, to improve on things, right? to make it safer. And also the time restraints. It's, it, it's a different world now. And the way we communicate is a different way. And I'm old school. I do, I work out my clothes because that's the way everyone else did back in the day. You didn't have time to change. <laughs> bringing in Bert with all he, all the great coaches he's trained under, all the success he's had in athletics. It, it's, you know, one wolf might could bring something down, but a pack of wolves, you're not going to get away from them. And, yes. and I think when we added my strong, strong points along with Bert's, and then we have some great people. It, it, people have embraced that. It sounds some things came up with didn't sound like a good idea at the time, but they've changed the industry. If yeah. you hang in there tight and long enough, and you believe in what you do, and you understand it, and you have that that extra gear that no, no one's going to try to overcome, they're going to accept. He's going to beat us. Mm. And why? Because we love it. And it's in our heart, what we do. The, our Bosco brotherhood is worldwide. And it's because of people of like mind that, that train and love each other for, for being strong people of strong conviction, strong mm. hearts. That's what it's about. That's what we do. It's not about making money that comes with it. And it allows us to, to grow and support others, but it's, about being here, being getting up this morning and looking forward after 40 years, I couldn't wait to get here this morning. Just to talk wow. to be with my son. That's the important thing to me. That's, That's amazing. Bert, I'd love to know for you where your story begins to intersect with this. Obviously, we know where your personal story intersects with your father, right? Yeah. Um, but was this always a no-brainer for you? Was this something that took some decision? How did you sure. end up grafting into this? Yeah, uh, well, I guess my first interaction with the business officially, I think I posted the other day on social media, my first paycheck, it was in, I believe, 91. So I was 15 years old. That was one of my first real summer jobs. It wasn't just, you know, something random. Um, and, you know, 40 hours a week working alongside men and doing man stuff. And that was a, a huge eye opener. And that was, you know, there was it wasn't a foregone conclusion that I was going to work in the family business. Um, I knew I would I was interested in it. I knew I supported it. I like all that. But when you're a kid, you don't know how that really works or does it. And you know, I wanted right. to be a skateboarder, and then I wanted to fish and hang around with my friends. I wasn't looking like what's my career going to be. 
So, um, but dad always said, Hey, if you're, you know, if you're ever going to be a part of this business, you got to start from the bottom and put in the hard time. And so he, he pushed hard to have, have me do that that year, which was awesome because I wasn't working directly for him. I was working for the foreman. There wasn't, you know, favoritism. It was like, I got the crap jobs. I got the, you know, all the prefab stuff, the chipping BBs, the whole, the whole nine and got to learn it, you know, from the bottom up. And, um, so that was my first interaction with the business as a whole in a, you know, not the owner's son, just basically low man on the totem pole. So fast forward, uh, you know, going through high school and college. And then of course I, I was an athlete in college. And so I would come back on, on the summertime and, you know, my job at that point was to train because that's how I earned my scholarship, but I would also do Sornex deliveries during the summertime and train athletes, uh, kind of a little personal training business during the summer. And so all of it, all came back to Sornex in some way under the umbrella of sharpening my my sword for what will be to come. And I'd say about halfway through college, I realized that most likely Sornex was the direction I wanted to go. Um, I was in the teaching track and education. Um, both my parents were teachers and based on how the teaching world had been changing, um, both of them suggested that that probably wouldn't be fit for me. <laughs> and I agree. And I'm glad I went that direction, didn't go that direction. Most respect for the teachers out there. I don't know how you do what you do. So hats off to them. Sure. Um, but this was more in my lane. And, um, and as I got more and more adept in the training and athletics world, thankfully I was in the sport of track and field, which is the sport of training. And, um, that really helped me to understand human performance from that side of it. And, and then my passion of human performance and my passion of wanting to throw a hammer far really meshed very, very well for the business that my father had started. So uh, fast forward 1999, after my last uh, competition in college, uh, I had about two weeks and then uh, talked to dad, you know, I was talking to him before and he said, well, are you going to do Sornex afterwards? I was like, yeah, I'm certainly going to try it. My, my whole goal was really not to grow the business. It wasn't to become a leader, whatever it was help dad. You know, I've seen, I'd seen him struggle and seen him make the hard choices, hard decisions and slug it out by himself. And my goal was go over there, help him, whatever that means. We're just going to do that. And so I didn't have a title. I didn't have anything I had, you know, I was Bert trying to help out and um, I was able to, you know, fresh eyes see far in some ways. And so, you know, my pulse on the training world of what was occurring currently, um, cause I had just come out of college, I was still training for the 2000 Olympic trials and the hammer throw. So my mindset and my heart was very much on the cutting edge of training. And so the things that dad had taught me and the things that I had been seeing back, back channel in the business, I was able to interface with the community and realize there were some, there was certainly some white space within the community that some training things, tools needed to occur. And then of course, dad's, you know, uh, you know, the Da Vinci of, 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 of strength stuff. And so I would bring problems to him and say, Hey, I think this, this thing needs, we need to have something like this. And he would sit down and magically shoot out a drawing in 10 minutes on a bar napkin. And you're like, Oh, really? So that's how that works, huh? So the, it was just really cool. And just so being wow. backstage of that for so long, you realize, the process of it. And it's kind of like, uh, what was it? They said that 
uh, Keith Richards wrote uh, the rift of satisfaction in his sleep. Like he woke up, wrote the rift, went back to sleep, forgot he did it. And so, you know, being around a person whose mind thinks at that level, you start understanding the key points and your mind starts growing in that way too. And, and I've grown my ability to do that as well. So that's kind of how I started in it. And that was 1999, so 21 years ago. Uh, did I think it was going to be a full-time lifetime career? Uh, most likely, usually anything I jump on, I, I stay on. Um, but then within the first year or two, I saw that there were some definitely holes that you know we weren't doing. And some of them were very simplistic and some of them were just for the times. And, and uh, I mean, it'd be laughable to even tell you what some of them were, but it's, you know, dad's bandwidth was just taken up with all the things he had to be concerned about. And, and you know, anytime a founder, I believe, goes through a, a portion like you talk about building an interstate you know the per first person had to find the natural trail then they had to take an axe and cut down the bushes and make a foot trail and then they came through and made a horse trail and then they came through and made a you know a, a cart trail all the way up to you keep going until you're clearing roads and making interstates and i think it's very difficult for the same person to be able to do all the processes mm. and so I see myself more as the interstate guy where he was the one that yeah. found the trail in the first place. And so once I think we came to a mutual understanding that there will be things that I bring to the table that will look different in skill set and in outcome than he did. Um, and then there's also realization that there's things that he did that I'll never be able to redo and I could never do my job without the things that he accomplished. And then there became a mutual understanding and a synergistic ability between us. And to be honest, we're, we're, we're two only children, alpha males. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I think it's, it's amazing that two big bulls have been able to work in the same field for 21 years and yeah. still go back to back with each other and fight all comers. And so that's probably the proudest thing that I think we're able to still do it, but it, it came yeah. as a realization, mutual realization that we both have skill sets and both have, timelines and we're able to you know work with each other very well and i think that's one of the things that we've developed the best um over the years that i'm, I'm most proud about so that's wow. kind of my development uh in sornex occurred now tell me this were there ever disagreements that you got in that the decision was ended with an arm wrestle or a a, a bench press competition like how guys arm there's no way <laughs> no, absolutely not uh no no there's strangely enough i don't think there's ever been like a physical showdown between wow. us two. uh yeah there's there's just mutual respect you know um, yeah certainly mutual respect well here's here's my real question back in and and really where it started even be, before that first paycheck at 15 I had this young little skateboarder come up one day and I was plotting and planning how to get him involved because he really didn't have any interest in directly in lifting. Ten-year-olds don't generally. Not, not right. generally. Except for what was wrong with you? How, <laughs> how I would get the opportunity to put this forth in a, in a, in a balanced way where Bert would see value in what my entire life revolved around. And he came to me one day and he, and he goes, hey, hey, dad, can I ask you something? I said, yeah. He goes, well, uh, all the other kids have uh, uh, allowances and, and, and uh, 
and I don't. And and what do you, you think I could I could have an allowance? And I thought about it. And I said, well, boy, uh, yeah, I would guess. But what is he going to do with this? What what is the end result of him having an allowance go, going to do to his life and my life? So I made the mistake <laughs> through bribery. That was a good investment, by the way. That was the best <laughs> investment I ever made. I said, I'll tell you what, every time you take a workout, I will pay you $5. That's a lot of money back in the day. Yeah. So I figure he wasn't going to work for a couple of days and I'm saying, oh, out 20 bucks, what big deal. <laughs> That's right. So about $250 later, <laughs> Bert came up to me one day and he goes, Dad, he says, I don't think I really need the money anymore. I'm going to keep lifting. And to me, wow. that was a pivotal point in my life because not only did he get some of the things he wanted and earned them, and it came through lifting, so it came through a positive channel, but all of a sudden, he, the other kids would look at the muscles he had and the attitude that he had that changed and that he saw value in equality and being active and being a strong-willed person. Mm. All of a sudden, it wasn't about the money anymore. It was that he got it. He loved it. And it brought him good things. It brought him friends. It brought him opportunities. And all of a sudden, he didn't need that money, but he did need to be part of this life. That was was a huge, huge point in my Mm. life to see that change. Yeah. And I think that kind of set the stage for all the great things he did. Man, well, that actually- You have to associate value with it, right? And that that's the thing, that was what was so brilliant that not only did I get money to buy Christmas presents for people, but it, it, it clicked the thing of working out or hard work is not only for the case of hard work, there's actually a value to it. In this case, it was actual monetary value. And looking back, a workout took an hour and a half, two hours, so I was making two to $3 an hour which was below minimum wage at the time. But going back, I mean, it, it was absolutely brilliant because I worked out, trained by him, watched it, and we trained together. So I got to watch a master at his craft during his prime, understood attitude, understood how to attack the bar, how to believe in yourself, how to, how to you know, dominate each set and how, you know, and I was a late bloomer. So all my workout partners were stronger than me. So yeah. you, were, you you learn how to get your butt kicked and you learn how to like, all right, I'm going to get better because I'm tired of that guy that I eat lunch with every day at high school kicking my butt. When when we go and get trained by my dad, he still kicks my butt. And, <laughs> you know, and you so you start learning like, all right, you get a little chip on your shoulder and you go, okay, this is, we're going to do this. You start associating value with it. So um, that, was, that was brilliant. Well, you mentioned, this is, this is the question I wanted to ask. You mentioned some of the, the values that have come out of the sport, right? And the way I like to think about it is every community has a, almost a, um, a lens or a, a natural value to mine out that the rest of the world needs to gleam from, right? So if you think about like the artists of the world, man, they remind us of beauty. They remind us of deeper thinking and stopping and being reflective. And then you've got engineers and business people who remind us of what we could achieve if we put our minds to it, right? And then you've got the community that you guys have been a part of, the human performance community, the work, the, the weightlifting. Um, what has that meant to you? I know what it's meant to me, and we can talk about that at some point, how it's changed my life in the last few years, but it's brought out an attitude. 
It's brought out a way of life. It's brought out, like you talked about, hard work, discipline, those kinds of things. I just wonder what it's been like for you to be a part of that community for so long. What do you most value about it? I started so early and I, I was lucky. I had the love for strength and for strong people. The first time my mother took me to see Hercules at seven years old, 1957. And it's so st stuck in my mind that I wanted to be that kind of guy because Hercules did fantastic things with his strength, but it wasn't about him. It was about making the world and his people stronger mm -hmm. and better and inspiring them and having them follow him because they believed in that strength, that the way it was applied. So it, it's so much, it was so much of a positive flow and it means something different in each and every person. When we walk through that weight room door, I'm there for a different reason than you are mm. and Bert is, but we're using a common denominator of equipment to re reach that goal. And it's so amazing to me how that works. Uh, it, it's not like one thing when we get it all in the same thing. I just looked at this morning, uh, a, a fantastic lifter, Brandon Lilly, walk in that the first time I met him, he was 350 pounds and fire breathing dragon. And all of a sudden, after a horrific injury, he decided he was going to change his life. Now, is he still close to the world of strength? Yes. Has his life grown? I can't believe anyone that I've seen change more in my life and I, in, in my scale to the positive. Mm. He could play guitar. He could shoot bows and arrows. He could shoot a rifle. He could hunt. He could fish. He rode, he rode 100,000 meters in one day on his birthday, 10 and a half hours on a rowing machine. He walked in at, at 222 today when he weighed 350 when he was powerlifting. He had one thing he could do, lift giant big weights and be a big mean guy. Yeah. Now, guy's like a superstar. He could do anything. The quality of his life has, has risen so high because he has that basis of strength, but it, it's reapplied the strength mm. and conviction to go out and do this mm. or learn new skills or learn how to do knife making all these things, yeah, cooking, cooking, poetry, like total Renaissance man. Yeah. yeah. And, and you could just see when you talk to him, he, it's like, I did the right thing. I mm -hmm. did the right thing with the drive I had to go squat more than anyone. And that was it to all the great things and people he's met. It's, yeah. It's like a, a, a Swiss army knife. Yeah. You do one thing with it. You could do so many things with it. Well, that's like an interview I heard with the, the chess master that they made in the movie uh, Searching for Bobby Fischer. Uh, he's okay. a, a real person who was a chess prodigy from the time he was like eight years old. And his life and career has continued to evolve and success in all different arenas because he said he stumbled across the idea of cross application. That's something that you learn here. Yes. You could apply over here. And so he, when he said, when he asked that question, like, what have I learned that made me brilliant at chess and how that might help me over here? It kept leading to the next thing. And that's what I love about exercise is the cross application 
of what you yeah. learn under that barbell and where it applies elsewhere. Yeah. And, and kind of to build off of what dad said, one of the biggest things that I, I think I'm drawn towards the barbell and, and just lifting and strength work and just all that in general, the, 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 the iron game lifestyle is I love the, I would say finality of the, the pureness of it. And I talk about it, the, the two things that I, that I really jive with are the outdoors pursuits and strength and strength conditioning training. And I think both of them have a similar or almost the same uh, uh, variable, which is, you know, you heard uh, Rollins say 200 pounds is 200 pounds. And that's the cool part about it is the weight it doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care how many followers you have. It doesn't care if you look good or you're ugly or you're rich or you're poor or you're sick or you're, it doesn't care. Mm -hmm. It's going to fall down at the same rate of gravity. And if you decide to try to pull on it, it's going to do what it does best is stay on the ground. And I love, there's no posturing. There's no lies. There's no deceitfulness. There's no anything. It's going to do what it does. If you put 500 pounds in your back, it's going to try to kill you and it's your <laughs> job to not get killed. And the same with the outdoors. If it's hot, if it's cold, if it's raining, if it's windy, if there's hurricanes, it doesn't care. It doesn't care if you happen to die on the side of a mountain and stay there frozen for the next 3000 years. It doesn't care. And I love the beauty of both of that to really remove myself from the center, from being self-centered and go, well, I matter eh. to maybe my family and myself, of course, but really to the grand scheme of things, there are things much larger than me. And that, so there's a grounding effect of both of that, that I think yeah. teaches you that you have to be prepared. You have to do your homework. You have to do your research. If you want to play in the world of weightlifting, and if you want to play in the world of the outdoors, both skill sets are needed that you have to have preparation, mental toughness, physical toughness, and you get to challenge yourself against those, you know, unbeatables. Those, those two yeah. are unbeatables. At a certain time, you will put enough weight on your body where it will squash you. At a mm -hmm. certain amount of heat, cold, wind, whatever, it will kill you. And I really love the beauty of that. So for me, yeah. it's, it's even a kind of a weirder, deeper thing that I love. I get to test myself against these constants. And then if I test myself with the right percentages and the right programming, I could actually make myself better incrementally and somewhat predictable. And then that, yeah. in my opinion, is kind of unlocking keys to the universe a little bit. I yeah. believe the Bill Pearl's book was keys to the universe. Yeah. And so I, I understand that as I get older now, what he meant by that. And uh, that, in my opinion, is the beautiful part of, of our industry. Yeah. Yeah, this is fantastic. Uh, Drew just sent me a message. He's like, you got any questions? I said, man, honestly, I'm, I'm geeking out. Well, this is Same. just something that, that we care about, that Drew and I both, uh, we're, we were athletes growing up through high school, lost this discipline and realized that it wasn't probably our own discipline. Somebody was forcing it on us. And then we came back to it later on in life. We've come back to it in our 30s. And right. it has absolutely um, changed the game. And I really do, as I'm hearing you talk, I'm thinking about it as – as like the gateway discipline, like, Hey, learning this strength and conditioning discipline, learning this, uh, physical human performance discipline is a gateway towards learning those character traits that you have to have to face that business challenge to have to have, to ha have that difficult conversation to even know your own limits. I, I, I've heard, uh, meekness described as 
as the restraint of knowing you could do harm, but you choose to to not do it because you know your strength. It's not meekness isn't weakness. It's like right. it's, no, it's actually knowing that I have incredible strength and I choose to restrain. And and I see that exhibit of just these character traits that you guys are talking about. I also am just like thinking about it. Maybe this is probably where Drew's going to take us next. Is the reality of you know we're we're corporate coaches, we're business coaches, we're we're business performance coaches, and so we're in that that conversation around mindset often. Uh, how do they go about their their jobs? How do they change the narratives? And I'm just thinking about this discipline is such a great one to start changing people's dis, uh, narratives yes. that they're telling themselves. So many people that we that we've coached have at some point said like I'm not disciplined. They they say that and go man, one, that's like a shame, right? Like we don't, that doesn't have to be true. You can learn that really early, but still we, we come across it so often and you actually could change that story through, through your physical performance, actually mm-hmm. disciplining your body. An instantaneous change too, right? You can be not yes. disciplined right now and then yep. 12 seconds later decide to be disciplined. As long as you're disciplined, you've now changed the narrative. Yeah, exactly. People have to understand it's right there in their hands. Yeah. And But weightlifting and strength conditioning, you get so many reps to try it. It's like I see like uh, as an athlete, you get injured. Okay, what happened? You were pushing hard for success and something happened outside of your control or maybe a lack of preparation or mispreparation and you get injured. Well, that's something that kind of happens to you. You A, have to deal with it. You have to reassess, decide if you're going to keep going on. And it's very similar to business. We're all trying to succeed. Things happen within the market. Things happen within the world politics or whatever may happen. Your business might burn out. Those are those injuries. And so that kind of teaches you through those reps like, hey, some things are out of your control, but you're just going to have to deal with it or quit. And yep. those are the two things you get athletes. I, I love athletes who have been injured multiple times because then I know, okay, you've had to learn how to train. You've had to learn how to come back and compete. It, it, the people they're like, well, I've never had an injury. I'm like, eh, that's like, uh, you know, record sales every year of ever in business. I go, okay, well, you haven't learned the hard stuff. And wow, that's what I say about like pops. Like not only has he been physically injured, you you've had and he's had the injuries of business because you do it long enough and you go at it hard enough with maybe a lack of of oversight leadership that someone's teaching he had to start all this by himself we've had some catastrophic injuries within the business but the cool part is that he always kept going i mean we we held on to the rope when everyone would have dropped off but even experts were telling us all right close it down, crash it, do whatever, you know, for years, people have said, but then, you know, I would say when we stop listening to everyone, we've had hyper growth every year since. Yeah. That's not to say that other people don't know what they're doing, but a lot of it has to deal with context and kind of know what the it's in the heart and the character. And you have to drill into the business and understand what you're working with. Just like if you're training an athlete, you can't say they need to do this or do that until you've taken a, a really good evaluation and probably train that athlete for a while so you know the capabilities. Yes. I, I, I want to the centering point. If you have a centering point in your life that the rest of your life really revolves around, but you stay close to that is the really that one thing, that inner strength you have. If you float around like a what a feather. Well, you might touch down and for a little while then do something else, but what really has it amounted to and how much has that sustained you 
I have a few things in my life that have sustained me for the last 70 years. Mm. And if I didn't have that in sales, I don't know if I could sell refrigerators unless I helped design the best refrigerator in the world and I believed in it. Otherwise, my strength and conviction for that refrigerator, it, then it becomes just a thing. The people I deal with or the people's lives I've changed that I could look at a world's strongest man and say, I started him out. Mm. He, he's a success. So I'm a success as being part of that life. That to me matters a lot. But it all goes back to that point where your anchor is. You don't want to go far from that. And it's if, if you truly believe in any one thing, be it chess, playing chess or skate or whatever you do, if you're really anchored there and you, you build your whole life like the layers of an onion around that, you're going to have a solid life and a good time. And you're going to, you're going to have things come to you that you would never have dreamed of mm. the best of friends, the most trusted people, the ability to share sitting around a campfire, not talking weights, but talking about special things, how you feel inside. And you've been drawn together by this one common anchor of strength or what we produce and we have done all the people that have gone on to the NFL or been be, became world-class or world record holder athletes. And we're a little part of that from that seed of strength that was planted so many years ago. That's yeah. the exciting thing about it. It's, it's not, Oh, we're having a great year. Uh, it's numbers is what it is. Yeah. Well, you know, it's really cool too. Like the obvious wins that you guys are attached to are the NFL players are the world's strongest men, but you're talking to two people that you've also equally changed their mm -hmm. lives. Right. Awesome. So if I go back five years ago, uh, we were, uh, we had just had our second child. We have three. Now we moved towns and my wife meets this girl, Peyton and her and her husband, Lane own a gym called go performance down the road. And I was, the, again, I was a high school soccer player. I was a division one scholarship, multiple scholarship offers. Went from that to being 40 pounds overweight, full of anxiety, not sure about my career, uh, in a new town. And she was like, I think you need to be around this guy, Lane. He owns a gym. He offered for you to come work out for free with him, which was unbelievable because I couldn't afford the membership at the time. And he said, if you come work out with me personally, you can come whenever you want. I'm like, okay. We start getting on your Sorenex machines. And we work out every day, two hours a day, five days a week. I was like, holy crap, man. I was expecting like a 30-minute P90X thing. We're doing two hours a day. And it became that anchor for me, legitimately. I ended up starting my own business a season right after that. And that was the Wild West, just like you were talking about. Days that I thought I had screwed everything up, that nothing was going to work, and I still showed up to the gym. And yep. it would recenter me. Uh, I, I, would, I learned that I could do hard things. That mm -hmm. was the biggest thing. I was like, man, work is hard. This business is hard. And then I go to the gym and go, but I can do hard things. And that became a motto for us that do what's in front things. of what's in front of us is hard, but you can do hard things became a motto for our family. I learned that to trust the process because I would start getting so frustrated that I wasn't seeing results as fast as I wanted to. And I realized that, man, I just have to keep giving into the process. And like you talked about the equity or the fairness, mm -hmm. like eventually my body will reward the yes. work I put into it. 
and it won't give me the shortcuts I'm looking for. And business is the same thing. Like I have to keep showing up to it. I have to keep working the process, right? Even now when we're teaching executives about stress, I think I help them think about it like strength, that this is a time under tension. You know, yeah. you're experiencing pressure that you call stress. That is your psychology under tension, right? And you can either avoid it, which would lead to atrophy. That's like someone avoiding going to the gym. Or you can overdo it and it leads to injury, which would be working out too hard or too much weight. But I want to work with you on how you calibrate your relationship to this where stress makes you stronger, just like weight makes you stronger in the gym, right? All of this has come from what you guys do, right? And even I got Jordan on it to it too, where you know we were talking, I was like, dude, what's the one thing you could do right now that you're not thinking of that might change your life? And he's like, I think it's working out. And now it is, it is literally protected on my calendar. It's the thing that I do yeah. every day. And it's yeah. become, I call like the barbershop. You know, like back in the day, the barbershop was that place that you had that wasn't work and it wasn't home that you could go and have something to do and develop community and conversation, right? right. At the gym, it's the same. I work out with the same guys, you know, we rotate based on who, who can make it that day. Some are pilots, some are army rangers, some are cops, some are whatever. But, dude, we talk about marriage. We talk about faith. We talk about working out. We talk about business. Like, it is that local – say again? It's your tribe. Exactly. 100%. Exactly, which is really, it's really hard to find later in life if you don't have something like that. Right. And I grew up as a – middle school high schooler watching my dad and his tribe mm. you know he was the tribe leader at the gym and he had this group of men that would show up every day at five o'clock and they would get after it or whatever time of things five o'clock and they'd get after it and it was you know I started understanding like how pecking orders are established how you know new new people come into the tribe old people come back and visit the tribe and you just you see the elders doing their thing and it teaches you how to be I hate to make it gender, but how to be a man. Like, you yes. go, okay, here's yeah. what the warriors do. Yes. You, know, you, you, you challenge each other. You push each other. Everyone wants the common goal, but everyone, there's a competitive nature to it. And, and it was just an awesome thing to be around as a kid. And there wasn't like any, hey, I'm going to sit you down and show you how, tell you how this works. It was observance. Exactly. You know? And I was in there training as a little weak kid and, people gave me respect because I was in the tribe, but they didn't, but they didn't kiss my butt. That wasn't a part of it. I wasn't, you know, and if I wasn't strong enough to be on the rack with the strong guys, I went and had to go get another rack and set up another bar. Same. I, got I still have to do that. To on the rack with the strong people. <laughs> That's just how it was. There was no, there was no, Hey, we don't like bird. It wasn't anything. It was just, you're not strong enough. You're, you're holding the team back. If we got to take your weights off of, get stronger and you're welcome to get on the rack when you're, when you're strong enough. Uh, yeah. I love it. And that's been the other part. We're geeking out. This is a totally different podcast. Normally we'd be diving yeah. more. I'm just geeking out right now. Yeah. I, I am the little guy amongst monsters and it's become my favorite thing. Like, so the two o'clock crew is like the crew that I work out with, which is the, the gym owner and our friends. Right. Mm -hmm. And they were all literally like, like you guys, like monsters. And I have to constantly get my own rack. And at the beginning, it was really intimidating when I was the only one out of shape and I was weak and all that kind of stuff. And I remember one of them pulled me aside and he was like, you can be inspired or you can be intimidated. It's up to you. We yeah. accept you. And I was like, all right, I'm going to be inspired by you guys. And 
I would even just make jokes too, but uh, being like, all right, I'm like the kid working out next to his dad, you know? Um, <laughs> but now it pays off to be the little monster amongst the big monsters, you know, yeah. like they've got me in, in, in the best shape of my life. And either way though, like that's, what's beautiful about the gym is like working out is working out. Whether you're benching 175 pounds for reps and they're doing 315, you have your own weight that's, that's relative to you and you're working out hard and everybody respects that, you know? Right. That's it. That's it. And even when I got to college, I was relatively strong, but I inadvertently walked onto the University of South Carolina track team with some absolute monsters. And I wasn't as strong as the men on the team because I was, you know, underdeveloped, whatever. So my coach said, okay, you lift with Don and Lisa uh, until you're stronger than them. And, you know, as a guy, that's a little bit, you hate to make it a gender thing, but you literally got said, you have to go train with the girls until you're stronger <laughs> than the girls. Yeah. yeah. I remember I had to squat 365 for six to beat Lisa that day. And that was the only way I got to graduate off that rack. So you think, I mean, the girls were super strong. Yes. They were the two best hammer throwers in the, in the nation at that point. Yeah. One was the best in the world. I just happened to have to work out with two of the strongest women on the planet. But, <laughs> but what that did, had I, had I had a lower barrier of entry, I wouldn't have achieved what I achieved because there would, yeah. there wouldn't have been those people to chase. And like, in your case, you're training with the monsters. Great. You wouldn't want to train with all the little weak people. That nope. doesn't make yeah. you any better. No, nope. even in business, you know, I don't, it's not an elitist thing. I don't want to hang out with, with in, unsuccessful business people. I want to hang out with people that are so much Challenge you. Along than I am because then there's no competition and I could support them. They can mentor me. I can mentor yeah. them and, and add value in different ways. So it's literally just like working out with the strongest people in the room, get get past the ego and just go learn something. That's, yeah. that's the biggest lesson. Well, that's what I, that's what I hear is the journey to kill the ego or the journey to lower it to its, its rightful place you know, it's just a little bit lower, you know, it's like that thing ends up getting you in trouble if you don't, you don't address it. And I love that journey, uh, which is powerful. Never borrow anything, never borrow a weaker man's belt. Yes. (laughs) I love that. That's it. it. That's fantastic. Uh, Well, I'm curious to pivot just for a minute because for the business founders listening to this, I'm sure uh, they want some of your wisdom around the company you've built. Um, so I would love to just know currently what, what size is the company in terms of employees, uh, and, and scope. And then I just want to start getting into what that's been like building the actual company and investing in the people and the culture that you guys have. Sure. Yeah. We, we fluctuate between 150 and 200 employees at the moment. Okay. Uh, we're right here in South Carolina. Um, we have an, ex, you know, between some of our vendors, you know, that that uh, footprint expands out. I would say to a lot more employees than that. But you know, Sornex proper is is around that number. Um, you know, we we've, we've done we do tens of millions every year um, in sales. Um, we I would say at this point we're in. We're in 100% of the NFL teams into some regard um, wow. our equipment. Every NFL team has a Sornex piece in there, or at least they they did at one time. Uh, you know, would I say it's a Sornex room? You know, in my opinion, you have, if they're your racks, they're your room, you know? And so like the, it was nice seeing, um, it was the Patriots and the Seahawks were playing the other night. 
and it was cool to see both teams had our equipment and both quarterbacks had their equipment in their house. So wow. it was kind of neat to go, okay, that, that was, that's kind of a strange <laughs> thing when you start, when you stop there for a second. Um, you know, most of our businesses, we, we do colleges, pro teams, uh, athletic departments, and then a lot of the elite military organizations, although a lot of regular dudes at home buy our gym equipment if they want something really cool and some people that are not regular dudes like a joe rogan gets our stuff as well so kind of a little bit more scope of what we do wow well there's another hero of mine i listen to rogan's podcast uh every... he's good at it right he's pretty, he's pretty good at it he's pretty good at it man yeah. um <laughs> what would you say has been maybe the the best uh the greatest joy and the greatest challenge in running the actual business not just the to the customer but to the business itself not being a dyed in the wool trained formerly business person it, it's hard to turn a hobby and a passion into a sustainable form that not only are you making a living from everyone has to make a living one way or another but every day when i get up i have to be in a good mood because there's 200 people going to model their day after the smile i give them or the encouragement i give them mm. or what bert brings to them in a design or in a strategy you have to be up for it. It's very, it's a very difficult, it seems easy, but it's not because a lot of this stuff, at least for me, was all new, new ground. No one showed me anything. I had to wing it, but now I have all these great people around. And if I want to know something about machining, I don't have to go study it and, and chop half my fingers off to learn how to run the machine. I have qualified people that can answer the questions I need to know. So is this machine capable of building that new idea we have? Yeah. That's, that's the kind of thing. Or even for me now in life, I've been at this 40 years and, you know, you, uh, I need to step back and do whatever I can to help it from whatever expertise I have, but I have the young guns out there that have their close customer base that yeah on the tree of athletics maybe i knew their first coach or i knew that that great coach when he was an assistant they were nothing and i was told to treat him like nothing and maybe i chose not to and these people that i gained their respect years later have have returned the favor and supported us and sent them their children that they grew up under the under the athletic uh, umbrella mm. those are the hard things or to what would you what would you give up until you you turn into a different person if you took that shirt off would you still be the same guy yeah maybe what if you took one shoe off yeah maybe but what would we have to remove from you so you were no longer yourself that's something I have to go through my head a lot to, to be able to be, I know that man, I know who he is. I know where his heart is. I know what he's thinking. I know that if he comes up with something and burnt together, it's going to be spot on because 
together, there's 65, 70 years of delving in this, in this type thing. It's a yeah. passion, it's a love. It's not like, oh, what are we gonna build today? I can't wait to figure out something new to try and do. Because it's simple, it's paint, it's metal, bottom line. Yeah. But that's where it ends with us. We go yeah. a way different ang angle right. than the typical companies producing a thing. Yeah. Mm. Uh, just a question around innovation, right? That's what we're talking about is you've already been coined the Da Vinci of, I just love that from your son. And then you're just sharing about the ideation and you're the visionary of this company. I'm almost thinking through just the question of like, Hey, have you, uh, how do you, have you systematically gone about innovation or do you systematically go about it right now? Or is it one of those things that like, no, we're always being inspired and, and thus it's always a function and, and it's not really systemized. It's just, so I'll leave this with Bert in a second, but yeah, we have about 125,000 cars go by the building a day. We're right on the interstate. And yeah. we were lucky enough to have a, bo a billboard on our property. And when you decide what you put up there, what you want the public or the unknowing public to figure about you, is it, are we, we going to put a bunch of weight equipment up and they think it's a gym or that we're going to put a they don't know what we are. So we finally decided to put a shot from one of our real uh, uh, summer strong uh, lifting uh, competitions. And right next to it, we said, you know what we do. And that was it. That, that's it. <laughs> and, and to flesh that out, I mean, what we do is solve problems and and it's just it's almost like a like a um an artist or a musician someone that just has that music inside of them you know I, a couple of my friends write music and are very successful with it and i'll see different spurts like a new album will come out because some they'll go through something in life and then there's all this this muse in their head there's always music in there but then there's like oh i went through this and then these things have to come out and what we generally i've noticed is when we come up with innovative products, there's there, there's kind of a there's a reactive and a proactive way to do it. Reactive is coach says to us, I need something that does this, and then we solve that problem. Proactive is, you know, that part right when you're almost awake, when you're sleeping, but you're almost about to wake up in the morning, you kind of know you're asleep, you kind of know you're not. Like I get a lot of stuff at that point that you just go, oh, wow, if that muscle fires that way, that'll work this way. And you wake up, you're like, okay, cool. But it, it's usually based on, for me personally, and I think from what I've seen with dad too, it's when you're interested in something and you're in the fight with it. If I'm training for something, I, I'm exploring. And so if I'm exploring, the, the, the proactive ideas and designs come. So that's where it goes back to, if this is what we do, which is, always strength exploration, the ideas and innovation comes. To answer your previous question, that in my opinion is the easy stuff and the fun stuff. It's like kind of like a musician writing music because he loves writing music and he happens to be good at it. A lot of musicians don't, they, they have managers because they're not good at that side of it. And so from a business side, that's been the biggest challenge for both of us is to have to understand the business side of, of this business because we've we've worked and been successful for so many years off of just pure passion, toughness, 
and, and, and a little bit of sense of delusion meant that we thought we were going to keep winning. You know, it's right, kind of like right. deals where, you know, if, if you're deaf, you don't hear everyone telling you to quit. And so there has been that side of it. And so really one of the biggest things for us was to not only to learn more about business proper, but to hire the right people on and to go out of our comfort zone a little bit. And that's why I would say one of the biggest lessons for me was is to release a little bit of that. I got to hold on to it and say, I, I'm going to interview a lot of people that understands commander intent of what we want the company to do and then hire the right person that has that little bit of a, of a guide aspect and a business side that could, that could consult us to do that. And then we can still yay or nay it. But those are the things to put those, those practices in place. I think, I think for a great business, you have to have the passion and the strong brand DNA, which we have a ton of. And then there has to be the other side of it that is the behind the scenes, numbers, black and white, boring business stuff. And that was when we finally moved towards that to make our dreams come true as more of a facilitator, that's when our growth curve accelerated heavily. But I think probably we could have done that earlier in our career if I would have said one thing I would do differently. Um, doing that earlier would have probably been made it an easier road. Um, but the song remains the same in, in a lot of cases, like the excitement that he has for design and I have for design and innovation, it's the same as day one. It's now I just feel like we have a little bit more ammunition and I know I don't have to deal with the things as much hands on that are either outside of my skill set or that also take me out of and probably take him out of what we're greatest at. You know, mm. you don't ask, uh, you know, I hate to use it again, like the musician type thing. But if someone's great at, at, at writing music, don't ask them to also drive the bus, you know, and, and set up the stage like let them stay in the in the headspace to do what they do best. And I think we've created an infrastructure that's allowed us to stay in a flow state to do the things we do best, which are innovative training solutions and people. And if we could keep the majority of our time and that is what I've found to be a part of the success. Man, it's huge. That's that's definitely been a theme so far that we've seen not only in our coaching practice, but in all the interviews we've done so far is this this commitment to what you do best. And then finding, and sometimes it takes time, but finding courage and comfortability with releasing enough control for other people to do what they do best so that they are bringing that to maybe a blind spot or, or, or a weak spot, right? Um, what, would you say yeah, some of the, what would you say are some of the critical elements that make up your culture as a company? You know, how do you guys think about your, your culture, maybe your philosophy around that? I'll stop there. I think when I finally leave this, this world, the last things that would be close to me would be respect and memory and memories and the respect that you do in business over a period of time, all the people's lives you've touched, you've done it in the right way. You've inspired them to be better people. The respect you've gained, not from trying to cheat people out of their money, but giving them something more than they expected. I think the memories of crazy things, I was looking at films yesterday that our, our media staff were just stunned by. I said, see that head right there in front of the stage? That's my head. I was there, I drove across the country, I was interested enough to become involved in those things and be part 
firsthand of those great memories and strength in athletics. I know what it was like to see the best of the best. Those things are what really matter, I think, to me, uh, the respect and the memories. If, if this life that we have have brought me those two things, then I feel a success. Mm -hmm. And your, your, your question about the culture within the company, um, it really boils back down to the kind of the pillars that he's saying respect. It, it, one, respect is one of the biggest things. We always want to make sure our customer basis, as well as even our competitors, respect our play. You know, and we talk mm -hmm. about run a clean game, you know, and, and so many things in business are a lot of times cutthroat or a lot of times, you know, seeming you know, there, there's some there's some shadiness. And and I never want an asterisk beside my name, you know, in, in the, the final record book of like, yeah, but uh, and that that's a big thing from an integrity standpoint, um, partly because I want to be able to sleep at night. I don't want to have to look over my shoulder. I like living a pretty stress free life. I, I like my stress to be self-induced. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and so part of that is just do good work, do good business, do good work, always have the right mindset behind it. If you screwed up, fess up to it, fix it. Um, you know, I want this business to be sustainable and profitable for a long time. And, you know, those two, if you're if you're too profitable, it's not going to be sustainable because because you're going to open up the market. And if it's sustainable forever, you won't be sustainable if you're not profitable. So you, there, there's those things. You right. Yeah. And the, the idea of it, of it is, is a little bit of a, I want to say a social experiment, but how can we impact, we as a company and as a team, impact the world? It used to be the world of strength in some ways. I think when Pop started, it was a lot of how can you impact and interface with the world of strength? And I've kind of seen it as how can we use strength as the vehicle to transcend into different portions of the world and have a greater impact in, in things that we happen to be pretty good at. So if someone is a, you know, like yourself, we've, we've not worked together before, we haven't lifted together, but if maybe some one of our tools or mindsets or, or tenants has changed your life, then that's a success. And I think if you go after the, the culture, what you create with that yeah. type of mindset, you know, my type of mindset isn't, is it to own a yacht? Is it to bling out? That's not the culture we're creating. Our our culture is to become valuable, and we you know one of our things is be legendary. Well, what does be legendary means? It just means be relevant when you're no longer around, and you you can only build that relevancy through showing value to the people around you, and then transcending truly into different portions of the world, which I personally believe means true success. Um, you know, a great soccer player can be a great soccer player, but when he becomes a legend and, and really has true success, when that soccer and, and his ability to handle that ball with his feet transcends outside of that into making other people's lives better. So that's always been kind of our passion. And then we make sure when we hire people that they understand that passion set. And if they don't do it, we either rectify that or, you know, they, they need to go probably work somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like the future, and this is what I was actually about to ask, is like, what excites you? What do you see the future of Sorenex being? Is it around, is it around expanding, and like you said, into other markets, or is it around becoming more of a brand that has a meaning that's more, in a sense, lifestyle? I don't like using that word, but like, 
you know what I mean? Like it speaks to, it represents yeah. something. I think if, if the brand end of it is, is very important because when you put your name behind something, you're putting your entire life or a good bit of your life behind your word and your word means everything. And there's not enough money where there's not enough torture you could put upon me to make me be different than what I, I really feel in my heart. And, and the, the brand end of it, if after 50 years of collecting knives, let's say, someone comes up to me and says, hey, I'm getting new into this and I'm excited about the outdoors. Could you tell me something about knives? And they trust me enough that, well, I haven't stiffed them in 40 years of business on weight equipment. Yes. You might could give me the straight shot on something new and related. And it's that trust. It's that, that level of trust you, you, you develop. Yes, we're going to expand. Yes, there are plans underway. Uh, we've had tremendous growth in the last six years, just astronomical. We've bucked all the odds that I could possibly see on statistics for the last 40 years. And I'm nothing, starting with from nothing, uh, we, we, we had to develop our own way of doing things, our own unique culture. The culture here is as important as the product or the sales or every, anything else. To see in the middle of the day people that break their rear ends to do a great job building equipment and do it a little bit better than you would think in the middle of the day or when they suppose to take a break after sweating all day working hard come in and work out on our equipment that to me is like i won the, to to have someone that shows up and never touched the weight now that works out on our stuff and gets to take home money to put bread on his table we won we've won and wherever this expansion goes it's what form follows function. I guess what we put out there when people get behind us in that army and I don't have to look back to know he's there. I know Bert's there and I know my other people are there and we could keep marching forward and not be worried about it. And wherever this takes us, as long as it goes by the tenants that, that we've set up in our life to live by, it, it's endless where where this could expand to yeah yeah and I've, I've been looking at i'm looking at some of the stuff i'm writing on the wall like from you know part of i guess where sornex really started was you know making strength tools and that's obviously physical strength but more my interest as like i talk about transcending is six areas so physical mental emotional spiritual financial and social strengths and I think that this lifestyle, and I hate to use the term lifestyle brand because it's been so cliche, right? Can move you can move the needle in all of those areas, and I think um, that's more my focus these days uh, of where I think we could we could help people. I mean, we've helped a lot of the military community. Uh, yeah, has it been through some gear? Has it been through some training? Has it been through, like post military community uh, from like helping people with depression or, or trying to help uh, keep them from suicide and, and 
that has nothing to do with racks and kettlebells. Right. Yeah. But we figured out ways through support and through loving, loving people and using some of those tools as a means to an end to create, I hate to, again, use the cliche term social change, but change within our society, within our immediate blast radius of who we deal with. And, um, you know, one of the ways that, you know, I hate to say you get paid, but like when I get a DM from someone who I've never met, it's like, Hey, I listened to your podcast or I talked to so-and-so, so-and-so who said you've helped him out a lot in this community. Thank you so much for doing what you do for our community. You, you know, we've never met, but X, Y, and Z. And that makes me feel super good because it's more of a, it's not a padding my ego. It just, it tells me that our, our, our track is on like where we're going and whatever we're doing, however crazy this looks, that means we're doing the right things and to keep moving down that track. And if there continues to be people giving us that feedback, that may be something different than what we expected, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Some NFL guys go, Hey man, it was awesome. I just signed a $50 million contract is great, but I hate to say it. Those aren't the guys that are calling us saying, Hey, thanks for making a rack. Right. You know, usually a dude that's in his basement that, you know, says that uh, him getting physically fit changed how he, he viewed his life. It made his business more successful and it kept his marriage together because he was confident enough to actually have candid and curious conversations with his wife that saved his marriage. And then I look at it and say, okay, well, if that's the case, then not only did he save his marriage, but he changed the trajectory of the life of his kids, which helps our society as a whole. And so again, not saying that we're some magicians, but knowing that if we're a part of that equation, then what we're doing is what we should be doing. And if we have to sell steel rectangles and things that are heavy with handles on them, and 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 the, the day job looks like we're innovating that, which we are, cool. If that's the price of admission, cool. Man, I, I yeah. think that, um, you know, when I said lifestyle earlier, um, the reason why we say it's cliche, right, is because often lifestyle brand just means like something that you like to wear on your shirt. I mean what influences your life, and that's what you mean as well. Yes. And I think there's a growing groundswell of people like yourself, like Joe Rogan, like other people that we really resonate with that is realizing or represents a voice that says all the things you want are on the other side of hard. Like everything you could want. Your marriage – you know, having a great relationship with your kids, building a yeah. business, having good physical health, like everything you want is on the other side of hard. And you guys represent a, an encouraging voice, a wise voice that says, we can teach you hard, right? Mm -hmm. And that to me is like where I see the, the future of Sorenex going is representing that in the world that's not maybe what the weightlifting community sometimes has looked like, which is trying to be intimidating to people or about vanity metrics or whatever. It's like, no, no, no. You guys aren't about any of that. It's about like, who can I become? What's, what does hard work look like for me? What is me being the best version of me as a husband, as a person, as a citizen, those kinds of things. Um, so that's how I see it. When I, when I listen to yeah. your heart, I listen to your story. Well, thank you. And I was in a, uh, at a meeting with NATO at, with some of the different NATO countries. We we're doing some strength conditioning stuff and we were talking about, um, kind of like really what is weightlifting? What is strength training? And it was interesting. We just came up with a term. It was, it was streamlined hardship. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow, I want to get to something that's hard, 
measurable and quickly. So then it is a, is it a determined stressor that I know I, I'm going to get a result from, but the key word, like you said, we keep coming up with hard. There's, yeah. it has to be hard, it you know, exercise has to, is really all it is, is inefficient work. And, mm -hmm. and that's it kind of pops. And I've talked about that before why the strength industry is different than every other industry on the planet is every other industry creates is successful due to its ability to make work easier and more efficient. Yeah. Avoid hard. <laughs> that's a point of a system. That's a point of everything. Unfortunately, exercise is the one industry that that paradigm doesn't work because the more efficient you make the work, the, the less effective it is. Inefficient work is how you get strong. It's how you get tougher. It's how all this whole stressor and, and adaptation works. So once you could understand that, and you could understand that I'm not here to make your life easier. I'm here to, to, to give you a very streamlined and predictable stressor that you have to fully embrace and put effort towards, then we can move on. But my life yeah. is here. I don't run a business that makes your life easier. Like what was it? BASF. We, we don't make life. We make it easier. Whatever the heck it was. Yeah. <laughs> exact opposite. <laughs> exact opposite. Yes. You're to make your life harder. Yeah. Gosh, I, I absolutely love that. Cause I think we actually relate to it because the strength that you're talking about, mental, emotional, physical, even financial, all of those roads end up being places we have conversations in, in, in our work. And all of that is hard. The, the cancer, I would say, in our industry is people think they can just go to a, a one-hour training and learn about something, and, the, and the, you're, they're going to see behavior change in the office the next day. I'm like, well, you know, at minimum, you know, maybe the 21 days to create a habit, like maybe we could do that. Um, and does that seem like a long time or a short time to you? You know, like to me, that actually seems like a short time. That's actually a short time because the road I want you to go on is like for the rest of your life. Yeah. And I need you to be having conversations. And, uh, yeah, that is, uh, that is fantastic. Um, that final, or just a question before the lightning round is for, for Sornax and for you guys, what's the, what's the most current and, and pressing challenge that you're facing right now? And how are you guys addressing that? I think it's actually the level of success we've had to keep up with it. Um, we need more of what we we produce with. Uh, we need more room. Uh, you always think the, the building's big enough. It never is. You never run out of space because you can fill it with great things. Uh, to keep the customers happy and, and understanding that there's such a difference in the times than there were year than it was years back, it's they want kettlebells, but kettlebells are made in five minutes, and the world is saturated with needing them, and there's no one to supply. Yeah. So we're trying to keep up and, and keep our quality and and keep things made in America, things that. I, I think we were losing for a number of years attending to the proper things. Uh, our, we, it's hard to catch up with our, our own growth. And we know what's happening and still there's more and more need for more people, more equipment, more materials. Some of this stuff, you just can't make it. Right. You can't make quality employees 
just make them. Right. <laughs> you have to make sure they fit in with it. So we have we have the the best of problems. If we've decided to become whalers, we have to be able to process a whale when we catch one. We have to be able to do and not waste a bit of that whale. And then if that is going to be what we're known to do, not catching sardines, we have to be able to follow through in a timely fashion. And that's accelerated growth is what we have now is probably our biggest challenge and, right. and problem. It's not coming up with great things. I have notebooks filled with great ideas. Yeah. We don't have time to build them yet. Right. Wow. We're trying to keep up with what people want from us now. Yeah. So keeping up with demand and not losing quality in that, that chase. Right. right? You don't want to sacrifice that. You, we work too hard for it to lose that, yeah. to lose that trust in the people that have believed, believed and sustained us for all those years. Mm -hmm. And to speak to what he's saying is it is a supply deal and it's, it, you know, and part of it is chronic in that we keep growing. So we're always out running or out, outgrowing our shoes per se. Mm -hmm. But then the other part of it is as everyone on the planet understands, we're through a pandemic right now that has decreased supply even more. So you know, you're on a, a steep growth curve that you need more fuel to the fire and all of a sudden there's no more fuel. So there's a, it's kind of a double whammy. Thankfully we, I wouldn't say we predicted, but we predicted future growth and we put the, some things in the infrastructure prior to the pandemic that has put those pieces in line, but still it, to this point, there's just, there's just only so many raw materials on earth. I mean, we had one, one project yeah. per, you know, that we did for the army that there was not enough one and a half inch steel square tubing on the planet in any form to fulfill the order. Wow. So then you have to start thinking, all right, I have to order this stuff to have it made prior to even receiving the contract and having to bet on yourself that you most likely can get it because if you don't, there's no way to hit the contract date deadlines. Yeah. So yeah. those are problems that you just have to, you have to do your due diligence. You have to do your scouting. You have to suck it up and then you have to take the shot. But mm -hmm. there's, there's some major, you know, things that go along there because it had, had, had we not done it there, there was, there's no way to get wow. it. So people don't understand. Sometimes the scaling is not just like push the button harder or, yeah type in a different quantity or yell at the people to go faster. It's like at some point there's just not enough stuff on the planet to do that. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. That is a, that is a, that's a fun challenge that you've been able to be successful enough to, to have in your life. It's yeah. interesting. Thank you. And let's, uh, let's ask, I want to ask uh, for our lightning round question. I have two questions for you. Uh, I want to ask, this one, question number one, if you could ingrain one message into your organization, what would it be? One message in the organization, you want everybody to know it, live it, what would that message be? For me, it's be intentional. Intentional. Everything has to have a reason. He told me years ago, you can do whatever you want, just have a reason why you did it. Mm -hmm. and be able to back it up. Oh, that's good. There you, you, you correct, but... 
Um, I mean, whether it's building a piece of equipment, whether it's how you write up an order, whether it's how you talk to the customer, everything has to have an intent behind it and you need to be able to back it up or you're just shooting from the hip and we can't mm. do that. Love that. I think the one thing that defines my way of thinking about business and my personal life, I have one sign in my office and all it says is resolve. If you have the resolve to follow through resolve to find the strength to do things that no one would expect you to do or or continue to do you have that resolve of being a good man being good to your family turning out the impossible that resolve is what everything else in this giant whirlwind revolves around think about it yes so good guys thank you so much for taking this time you've given us an hour and a half of your time that has flown by i thought it only been an hour and then i realized we started at 10 not not 10 30. uh your story is fascinating watching even the two of you do two i just want to call this out by the way two things you've done that have defied statistics one is be able to make a father-son business work right that's like one of the first things that people say is don't do, go into business with family or don't go into business with friends, right? And they also say don't name the business after your own name. So we've done all three. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and just so you know, we're following your footsteps. So we, we've been friends since college. We named our business after our last names awesome. uh, because we wanted our reputation on the line uh, with whatever we did. And then uh, the other thing you've done is turn a passion into a business, which is way harder and often less lucrative than people would imagine. Uh, and that's just been amazing to see, like you said, going from the goat trail all the way to the interstate. Um, you guys have successfully continued to evolve, and I see no reason why you will not continue to evolve into uh, the brand and the reputation that you've already created and the impact that you guys are going to make. So thank you so much for your time and for your wisdom. I appreciate your kind words. Thanks a ton. That means a lot. Yes, yeah, sir. Take you. care, guys. Thank you. Take care. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.